Turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 40. I can remember when Jenny Rose, and for those of you who may not know her visitors, she is the one who gave the announcements. When Jenny Rose was a little girl, she was probably, I think it was her fifth or sixth birthday, but we were vacationing in a, um, in a vacation spot, a uh, 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 vacation home that someone had offered to us for that week, and I think it was in Cashers, North Carolina. Beautiful place, mountainous. Absolutely loved it. You know, one of the one of the things I love about the mountains because I grew up with my family vacationing in the mountains is I love driving around the mountains. But my dad loved it too much, where he goes around the curves a little bit too fast, and you're just wondering just how long are we going to stay on this road. And especially in the fog, he just loved that. I didn't. And I can remember when we were in just, it was just the parking lot of this uh, place that we were staying. And Katie Beth, Juliana, and Jenny Rose, the youngest, were climbing this little embankment, okay? Mountains all around us that they obviously couldn't climb, but they could climb this embankment. And we have this on video, and, and we were watching it, what, last year or something, and actually, I guess we've watched it many times. And they're climbing, and then Jenny Rose, she starts climbing up this thing with her hands, and she turns around, and she stands there and says, Daddy, we are mountain women. And we just died laughing and she might as well have climbed the rest of the embankment and did one of those rocky dances, you know, to uh, Eye of the Tiger, right. But there is th- this little story about this little girl really portrays her heart. And one of the things about a, a dad that all of you dads know is you want everything in the world for your kids. You just do. And this past week was kind of a culmination of a couple of months of them house hunting and being able to, when they get married, share a home together. And so they have been house, they probably looked at a dozen houses. And in that process, within their little budget that they've got, there's only so much of a house that they can afford, okay? And so as a dad, I was just thinking, Lord, why are these smaller, like two, two, or three, two uh, houses, why are they going for so much these days? I don't know if you've recognized that. Just crazy, off the charts. They've almost doubled in price in the last few years. And, you know, as a dad, I'm just praying, God, bless them so amazingly. Well, it, it was every, just about every house they were going into, almost every house they were going into, there was so much work that needed to be done. Um, it was maybe a two-bedroom. They were looking for a three because they want to grow a family, and, and on and on. And it, no house was working out. They finally find one, okay? It works for them. Owned by a, a retired gentleman, and his daughter is selling the house, and he'd kept up the yard, kept up the house, and they just fell in love with this bedroom, uh, th- this house, rather. So they put a bid on the house, and they realize that in order to get the house, they're going to need to up their bid, and them and another couple came in at the same price. And the realtor just said, you know what, whatever you can offer. And at that moment, it became a bidding war, which is not something you ever want to have to enter into because those things can go off the charts crazy. And people just start backing down, and eventually, so the other, they, Diego and Rose, gave in their, the little bit more that they could, and this other couple, we got, they got the news. Diego and Rose got the news, 
that the other couple got to have. This was several weeks ago. And there was just, it was right after premarital counseling, and they got this news, and Diego popped his head into the study because we had just finished up, and he had left the room, and we were still in there, and, and he said, we didn't get the house. And just the way he said it, you could tell his heart had just sunk. And there was, that evening, there was this sense of, wow, God, there, finally, they thought they had gotten the house, and it fell through. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, I'm sure you have, in which you are praying for something, and it, it, you are needing a breakthrough, maybe it's financial or relational, maybe at your workplace, and you are sincerely praying, and you even set aside times of fasting. This is serious. And as you pray, you really believe, God, you're going to do this, and then at the last moment, it just seems to fall through, and it's like, God, where are you? And that's kind of the way they felt, like, God... Wow, I really thought you were going to go through, you were going to do this. Now, they totally understand that, you know what? God has a marvelous plan for them. He truly, God has a marvelous plan for you. We are not of that camp that says, name it and claim it or blab it and grab it. That, you know, we just say it and God, you're obligated, you're on the hook and you got to do this because that is not God's heart. You don't get because you don't ask. And when you ask, James says, you ask, to be honest with you, with the wrong motives. Now, their motive was, was good. They, wanted, they just want to raise a family in a safe neighborhood at a decent price and in a home that they can, this is our home, and not have to sink tens of thousands of dollars into. And it's, it's as if, it felt as if the enemy just kind of stepped in and said, nope, can't have it. And the disappointment. As a dad, you know, Meredith shared this. What a disappointment. And they were kind of wondering, wow, God, do you have something good for us out there? Or do we just have to settle for, you know, what we've been seeing? And so just this past, last weekend, they, another house came on the market. And I walked in through the garage into the back porch, and as soon as I walked into the back porch, I don't know if you've seen vacation photos of cabins in the mountains and such, and this house was not in the mountains, but it felt like that. And I just thought, this is an amazing place. And the price that they were asking, we walked into the house, and I just thought, God, would you bless my daughter and future son-in-law with this home. And there was just this sense, God, are you that for me that you would do this? Now, let's be honest. God can do anything because the goal in this life is not about my personal happiness. It's just, church, it's not about your personal happiness. I hope I'm not bursting a bubble here, but it is not about your personal happiness. We can experience joy, and I'm not going to get into the difference of joy and happiness, but the truth is our, our desire is, God, we want you praised. We want your glory maximized. And so they put in a bid. The person, the realtor, came back and said, I'll be honest with you, that the owner of the house does not want to let go of the house anything other than asking price. And that was really stretching it for them. You know, we, we looked at numbers. We, Meredith and I were helping them. We said, this can work. Just, just put in that bid. 
Unfortunately, there were four other families that visited the very next day. They were the first, the very next day, and put in matching bids. Well, they had just experienced something like this, and it turned into a bidding war. To our advantage, I don't know if the others had this advantage, but we had the privilege of being, being able to meet the, the owner. She was a widow. She had been living there. We asked her a lot. of probably spoke with her for half an hour. And I remember Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, whatever it was, just praying, God, please don't allow this to turn into a bidding war. Because as soon as it does, they, they've lost it. When Diego and Rose walked into that house, it was almost as if tears came to their eyes. God, would you be good enough to allow us to have this home? Because their heart is totally about using the home for ministry, raising a family. And it, it is not about the, the money and, and just the stuff that the world pursues, but being content in Christ and using everything that is at their disposal that he gives them for his kingdom. And so I'm just praying, God, would you bless them and would this not turn into a bidding war? They got a, a call on Thursday. It was... That's right, it was Wednesday morning. Thank you. And after all that was said and done and all the five had put in, we were kind of waiting to hear from Leanne, they need you to offer another bid because five have come and it turns into this bidding war. And Leanne said, they got the house. Now, Diego and Rose had, has had more opportunities to talk with this lady. Her name is Dorothy. And Dorothy said, you know what? Or maybe it was the realtor who mentioned, but she said, you know what? There were four other bids that came in, but I only looked at yours. I didn't even look at the other bids. And when you matched that price, that's all I needed, and it was yours. And I just stepped back, and I said, wow, God. Th this is just who God is. I mean, this is not something that we deserve, that they deserved, but they just simply said, God, and by the way, yes, they did fast and pray and just crying out to God to come through because house hunting can become so wearying and you've really got to guard your heart because it can also be very disappointing, especially in our marketplace. But God just blessed them. And I, I want to ask you, have you ever asked this question? God, am I worthy enough? to receive this amazing blessing? Have you ever asked yourself that question? To be honest with you, we probably all have asked that question, but newsflash, church, that is the wrong question because that question is about me and me being worthy. The, the, the truth is no one here is worthy. We have all rebelled against God. We have all turned our, on our, our backs on him, gone our own way. But my Bible tells me that God has laid on him, Jesus, the sin of us all, prophesied that 700 years before Jesus was born. It is not about me. It is not about whether I am worthy or you are worthy. It is all about Jesus Christ and the fact that he alone is worthy. And get a load of this because I am in Christ. Now, 
He has privileged me with all of these blessings in Christ Jesus. So am I worth? That is not even on the table for God to consider. Is Jesus worthy? Yes, he is. End of questions. I think sometimes, though, we can feel as if God does not want to bless us. The bottom line, church, is that this life is all about, and I've already mentioned it, it is all about maximizing God's glory. And there are times in which God holds what we see as such blessing and like the perfect thing, and God withholds it for only one reason, not because he's some ogre, not because he doesn't love to bless his children, because he does, but he wants to maximize his glory and his assessment of your future and all that is going to happen because you're getting this is that it will not maximize his glory and it will not be to your utter benefit. And so there are times in which he withholds that. And so he withheld that first house to them. Yeah, what a, what a disappointment. And we wanted to believe, and we were even saying it, it, Diego and Rose, it's because God has a better house for you. And, and it can almost feel like that's what we're supposed to say, right? But just, that's because God truly does. He truly did have something better for them. And, and maybe God has withheld something very dear that you've been praying for, maybe even for years, and he's withheld it. And there's this sense of disappointment. Well, I want you to know that God absolutely loves you and has this amazing plan. Sometimes it is not in accordance with my plan, with your plan. Mickey Lana shared with us this past week. You guys, to some degree, understand their situation. And there is not a dad present in the home. And it's hard. And it, it can be a struggle, very difficult at times. But church, I want you to know that our God is a father to the fatherless. And he cares for those who are in such difficult situations. And he heals the brokenhearted. And he is absolutely for them and not in any way against them. And he will bring everything to maximize his glory and to pour out his goodness upon them. So the news that we got, that most of you were here, though not all of you, and so this may be new to you, but this past Wednesday, Mickey Lana said, you're not going to believe this, but apparently her grandfather, who passed away 40 years ago, had a life insurance policy that someone apparently just came across and said, wow, Mickey Lana, you get this much, and, and, and it's enough to pay for their home for two years. And it's like, wow, God, I mean, this could have happened 40 years ago, and it would have meant basically almost nothing for them, but it didn't because God had this amazing plan now, I'm going somewhere with this. Last year, excuse me, last week, not that far ago, last week I talked about how Jesus in Luke 4 was brought to the edge of the cliff by the very people he grew up with. In the beginning of his sermon, they said, wow, what gracious words he uses. By the end of the sermon, he had so utterly ticked them off. The Bible says that the people in the synagogue were furious with him. 
So furious, they drove him against his will to the brow of the hill in which the city was built on a cliff to throw him over. Not so that he would skin his knee or twist his ankle, but that so he would die, church. And Jesus grew up there. He knew where he was ta- they were taking him. And they brought him to the brow of the cliff, struggling as he was. And all the scripture says to us is, but he turned around and walked through the crowd. At some point, the father spoke because Jesus only did what he saw the father doing. He only spoke what he heard the father say. That is the tight, intimate relationship the son has with the father in his earthly ministry. Tight, total reliance upon the father. And at some point, the father said, turn and walk through the crowd. If you were Jesus, what you would have done. I'm sorry, did I hear that right? I'm sorry, that must have been me. Because I'm about ready to be thrown off the cliff, and they're grabbing my arms and manhandling me. And what do you mean, turn around? I can't turn around. All we know is that they were ready to throw him off the cliff and he was able to turn around. And as he made that decision to turn, the crowd had to part. And some of you, and to a degree us as a church, we feel as if we are on the edge of this cliff and Jesus is speaking to you very prophetically and he's saying, turn around and walk through the crowd. But here's my question. Here's where I'm going to go with this message this morning. The pathway to the cliff, from the synagogue to the cliff, is a pathway of struggle. I think it's easy for us to think, well, Jesus is the son of God. He's God himself. He knows everything. But we fail to realize that Jesus knew only what the father had revealed to him. In taking on human flesh, he had divested himself of certain glories. And we don't know to the degree to which those glories were divested. Oh, we know John 17, he's saying, now... Give me the glory that I had with you in the beginning. So Jesus just, he wasn't omniscient in his humanness so that he just knew everything. He knew the total plans. He had to seek the Father, just like you and me. And he was in weakness, in human frailty, in that tight-knit relationship with the Father. So all the way to that cliff, Lord, just... Father, show me what you want me to do because they want to kill me. 15 feet from the, okay, Father, in case you didn't hear me, but you know what? There, there, when I get to the edge of the cliff, I go over. You need to show me, tell me what to do. If they throw me over, I'm going to trust you that your angels will bear me up so, they don't, so that I do not even dash my foot against a stone. I believe you can do that. But Lord, there's five more feet and they're about to do it, just so you know. And when he gets to the edge of the cliff, At least by then, the father had spoken to him, turn around and walk through the crowd. But the entire way there, many of us, we are on the way there, and there is a sense of weariness that is settling in. Just like Diego and, and Rose dealt with when they first heard the news of the house and it fell through. Oh, man. 
How long do we have to do this? How many houses do we have to visit? Can there even be a better house? Or do we just have to settle for whatever? And I'm just, church, there is a weariness that we can gain. That just over and over and over. And the truth that we know sometimes gets shoved to the back seat. And we just begin to wonder, because the devil's been whispering in our ear, maybe he doesn't love you that much. Maybe you haven't done enough to earn his blessing. What a lie. That places us in the driver's seat. And this series, Life in the Spirit, is anything but that. And I hope by the end of the sermon we really get this. But as we read in Isaiah 40, that speaks to this issue of weariness. May God speak to our hearts so that we truly not just are able to endure. I believe God wants to make his people weary-proof. Do you hear what I'm saying? Weary-proof. How do you even, some, some of we are, we have dealt with weariness all of our life. And I'm not just talking about physical weariness. I'm talking about spiritual, emotional, uh, relational, mental weariness in which we just feel like, God, if, if one more thing happens, I'm just thrown in there. I, I give up. I'm weary, God. And that's where some of you are at. And the Father is about to speak to your, to your heart, turn around and walk through the crowd. This is what Isaiah says. In Isaiah 40, verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Don't you feel this way sometimes? Praying over and over. And sometimes even for years when I prayed for my, young, my brother just older than me, who was a bouncer in a bar. He had, as a young kid, had made some profession and apparently was a, just a religious false confession. He was walking completely in the ways of the world. Um, apparently, the pagan president of the, the pagan gang president, he had offended him. And so he was on his blacklist, and he had to watch his back everywhere he went. And God just caused my brother to be broken under the weight of the junk of this world. But in that brokenness, he cried out to God. And I'd been praying for my brother for years and years and honestly had become weary. And we had been praying, God, do, do you not see my way? Do you not see what's going on in my life right now? Is my cause disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard is the answer to this. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. Church, did you hear that? He gives strength to the weary. If you're weary this morning, that is his goal. He wants to give you strength. He doesn't always come through in the very first prayer that you offer. In Luke 18, when Jesus is giving a parable, he did it so that they would pray and not give up. The prayer of the widow, who she came to the unjust judge over and over, and it just really was ticking this unjust judge off, wearying him. And he finally, the scripture says, he finally gave her what she was asking for. 
And church, I'm not just going to let you know that God is not an unjust judge. But if he is a just judge, how much more is his heart inclined to you? And no, he may not respond with the very first prayer, the very first heart cry, and say, oh, absolutely, I'm going to come through for you exactly the way you're wanting me to. And we can become weary. God, how long? He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. If we are not careful, when we are experiencing this weariness, this sense of God, you have rejected my cause, discarded it, we can enter into these pity parties. And we begin listening to the lies of the enemy. The devil wants to blaspheme, Revelation 13 says, concerning the beast, he blasphemes God, heaven, and those who inhabit heaven, and everything about God and his people. He wants to slander them. Do not put it past the enemy to whisper those lies that slander the very character of God to you. And it's easy for us to get caught up in this. It's easy for us to get discouraged. It's easy for us to just say, okay, you know what, God? Maybe, maybe I'm just not good enough. The response is, are you kidding me? God is the everlasting God. It says here that he is the creator of the ends of the earth. He can do anything. He can step into your situation and he can write it like that. And because his love for you is infinite and he is absolutely for you and he cares for you amazingly, if for any reason he withholds something that is truly good for you, he is going to be bringing it. He is going to be bringing it in his time, in his way. This is the nature and the character of God. And so when we come to this passage, he says, you know, even youths grow weak and weary. Now there, he's talking about physical weariness, but the weariness that we begin to experience is this mental, emotional, even spiritual weariness. And he tells us how we can deal with this. He says, but those This is the promise, but those who hope in the Lord. Now, some of your translations say, wait upon the Lord. And they're the same, it's the same Hebrew word, but that Hebrew word can be translated two different ways. And if you think about it, to wait upon the Lord and to hope in the Lord truly are the same thing. If you're hoping in God, it is because God is, there's a sense of anticipation. God is about to come through and he is going to come through in the best possible way to maximize his glory. And so we wait upon the Lord. He tells us that, it says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Eagles are created as birds in a very specific way. If you've ever looked at birds, um, like for example, when they start ta- when evolutionists start talking about how dinosaurs turned into a bird and that's how we get birds, 
There is so much contradiction in that that a warm-blooded creature would have to become a cold-blooded creature, that a, 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 a creature that has solid bones would have to have hollow bones, that someone who has scales would suddenly have to have feathers, that someone who doesn't have wings would suddenly have to have full wings, not just partial wings. Remember this in evolution, it's all about survival of the fittest. You got to have full wings. You got to be able to fly. You got to be able to soar. God created birds, eagles, specifically in a very special way that is vastly different. We have what you call bidirectional breathing. We breathe in, we breathe out, but birds don't do that way. They have unidirectional breathing. They breathe only one way, and it's be, it, it, be, it is able to give them more oxygen than in our method because they need that. They are absolutely unique to fly. Now, as humans, we can run, we can walk, as the Scripture points out, but he gives the analogy of an eagle here. And I just want you to know, as a child of God, God is forming you very specially, very specifically, because he doesn't just want you to walk. He doesn't just want you to run. He wants you to fly. And the reason why he wants you to fly is because the perspective of an eagle is one that looks down upon the situation. Not one that's caught up in it with all the problems encircling them, wondering what on earth is going to happen. But the eagle soars above all of this. The eagle doesn't just run. The eagle doesn't just walk. The eagle soars, specifically made for this. And so we are. We were wired to fly. Our purpose is to fly. And God is wanting to kick some of us out of that nest and learn how to trust him. That is how he is wiring you. He is specifically forming things in your life to be able to live in this spirit-led life that fully trusts in him, that waits upon him, that hopes in him, that refuses to entertain discouragement and stay there and camp out in it. Yeah, we all get discouraged, but God says the righteous fall, but but the righteous, though he may fall seven times, he rises again. And my question is, is there something in you that is compelling you to rise again? That is the spirit of God, because you were not just meant to sit there. You were meant to soar on wings as eagles because God is instilling this life-giving faith, this relationship with Jesus, this life in the spirit that enables you to do this and be able to look down and you say, you know what? I may not be able to see all of it, but I can sure see a whole lot more. God, you are totally in control here. You got this. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that God has this? Here's what I want you to do right now. If you are taking notes, maybe on the back of the bulletin there, I want you to, maybe God spoke something to your heart last week. But when you, when I was mentioning about being brought to the edge of the cliff, are you in a situation in your life right now in which you have maybe prayed for something and it's not come through? In which you truly feel as if your back is up against the wall? And if God doesn't speak to you and say, turn now and walk through the crowd, you feel like you're going to go over the edge. I want you to write down that situation. I want you to be praying, okay, God, 
How do I respond in this absolutely difficult situation? As a church, we're in a similar situation, and we can feel as if we are at the edge of that cliff. And so for me, I've written down this need, and God, I believe, is going to give absolutely clear direction because he is moving us in, in a different direction. And now, and, and I'm going to be sharing this more and more, first with the LTM, the leadership training meeting this Monday night for the leaders that are going to be meeting, but with the church in, over the next couple of months. And we can feel as if the enemy is about to toss us over that cliff. And here, Isaiah is saying, wait, I, I hear your question is my way hidden from God? Is my cause disregarded by God? Are you even listening? And God is saying to you, wait for me. Put your hope in me. Do not give up. Now, I want you to know that you can fully trust God. And I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 6 right now. And we can kind of feel, if we're not careful, that God is just telling us, just suck it up, just persevere, just keep moving forward, uh, close, you know, shut down emotionally, act like a robot. You're hurting right now, but don't worry about it. Just keep, just persevere. Come on. And that is not the heart of God. Okay, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, if you are not careful, here's what you're hearing. You know what, Mike? You're discouraged and you're down and I've not answered your prayer, but you know what? You just got to get up and you just got to persevere. If you pick up one of the best-selling leadership books, and I personally love John Maxwell, and he's got a lot of good stuff to say, he, he, he speaks to a lot of businessmen and women in the secular arena who are not Christians. Now, I understand after his uh, sessions, he will invite them to an after session and share the gospel with them. John Maxwell is an excellent man. I, I appreciate so much of what he has written. Uh, generally, the idea is when you're a leader, then there is something inside of you, if you're a good leader, that you will persevere. You will find another gear. You will never, never quit. One of the, the mantras, if you will, of, um, uh, well, who was the prime minister in World War II for England? Winston Churchill, thank you. Never give up. And we can feel, okay, Lord, you're just telling me to, to never give up, but that is so hard. But there is an answer here, church, and I purposely did not read it because it's found in the verse before it. And it says, those who sow to the flesh will reap destruction. Do you know what sowing to the flesh is? Obviously, sowing to the flesh is doing those things that are sinful. 
It's doing those things that we read about in chapter 5, the acts of the sinful nature. And he lists them, many of them there. He also lists the fruit of the Spirit. You got to sow before you get fruit, right, church? And so we can sow to the Spirit and that we can do the good things and such, but we need to understand that this whole approach of this book of Galatians is this concept of walking in the Spirit, chapter 5, verse 16. It is keeping in step with the Spirit. It is doing as Jesus does. It is finding ourselves constantly looking to him, not just as our our example, but as our source of strength. I really appreciated what Stephen had to share in his Bible study with the teens. I, I, I believe it was this, was it this? No, it was the Friday before this past. And so Stephen, I'm borrowing this uh, little analogy from you. And he said to the teens, he said, look, imagine yourself sitting in a boat. And you need this boat to go. What are you going to do? He said, many of us, we start blowing into the sail. <sighs> hoping the boat is going to go. And that is what many Christians are doing. They're blowing into the sail. What happens when you do that? Newsflash, nothing. You can't make a the sailboat go by blowing into the sail. There's only one way, church, that that sailboat is going to move. And that is if you position the sail just right so that the wind catches it and moves it forward. It is total reliance upon the Spirit of God and not all the intelligence and charisma and gifting and whatever strength and ability you have to bring to the table. It is about what the Spirit of God is going to do in your situation and strengthen you. And it is a constant sourcing of the Spirit, a constant looking to God. So sowing to the flesh is doing it my way. It's saying, you know what, God, hang on, I got this. I came up with this brilliant idea for my business. And I tell you what, this pastor of yours, because I'm a pastor but a businessman as well, I came up with some really brilliant ideas, God. They were really cool. All right, I'm going I'm to try this. Maybe to add to my business or start another one, every single one of them failed. Every one of them made me feel pretty stupid. Wow, God, what are you doing? And he says, Mike, can you just trust me? Because I, this is what he spoke to me. I have not called you to be a businessman, but a carer of my sheep. Make that your focus. And can you just trust me that I will provide for you? Now, I'm not saying he's going to say that to everyone. That is what he showed me. And here I was striving and, you know, business isn't doing well. I'm going to try all of these different things. And God shut every one of them down. Nope, Mike. I need you right now to go through this season in which you can only trust in me. I tried getting into other accounts in car dealerships. Every single time they got shut down. There was nothing. And God allowed me to be, he, he placed me in this very vulnerable position. And I'll be honest with you, I did not like it at all. I didn't like it. And I struggled And I cried out to God, literally cried to God many times in front of my family, but just said, God, we need you to come through. And God stepped in in those hard situations and did miracle after miracle to provide for us. Just amazing. 
And eventually, I just got to the point where I stopped doing this. And I said, okay, God, I'm humbling myself before you. Blow into my sand. And that's what some of us need to do today. That is sowing to the Spirit. That is hoping in God. That is saying, you know what? The house fell through. But I believe that God has something truly amazing for us that is going to maximize his glory. And instead of us so focusing on me and my needs and what I want, God is, see, God is going to take care of all of that. He's going to take care of all of it. You know, when you, parents, you've been in this situation where you're trying to teach your kids how to make friends, and, and he says, you know what? The goal here is not for people to befriend you. The goal here is for you to make friends because here's something amazing. When you make friends, they want to be your friend. Don't put the cart before the horse. Make friends, then people will want to be your friends. Don't wait for them to come to you. And I, I just began to realize, you know what, God? I just need to humble myself before you, and I need to allow you to step into this situation, and I need you to blow into the sand, and I need you to do something marvelous in this. Because I've tried, and it hadn't worked at all. I wanted to close in this one passage, so turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. And it is, this is a passage that many of us are familiar with. If you have seen our church's um, card that we distributed as we walked through these three neighborhoods around us over the last two years, knocked on doors, prayed for people, ministered to them, shared the gospel with them, um, we have this card. And it says on the very front, got hope. And at the very end, there's two pictures, one of a totally destroyed apartment complex and one of a church. with us. And it gives the symbol of hope. And which one do you associate with? And at the very bottom, it quotes from this passage of scripture that I'm going to read to you here. And in Matthew 11, verse 28, it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Whose yoke is this? Is it the yoke that you are bearing? Is it the yoke of business so that I can support my family? Is this the yoke that he's talking about? Because otherwise, Jesus would say, invite me into your yoke. But he doesn't do that. He invites us into his yoke. He invites us to walk in relationship with him. You see, Jesus, he got this. And he is the one who sets the example for us. He walked in the Father's yoke. He was in fellowship with him. He, he, he had such this intimate relationship with the Father. And that is the type of relationship that he is inviting us into with him. Take my yoke upon you. And when we do this, those things that are wearying us, 
plowing the field, exhausted, will no longer weary us. Do you want to become weary-proof? Take Jesus' yoke upon you. Are you. Do you feel weary and heavy laden? Do you feel burdened? Do you feel shackled by problems in life? Jesus invites you into his yoke. There is work. Yes, that's what a yoke is for. That's two oxen. They're plowing a field. They do it together. They're not separate from one another. Otherwise, one oxen is going to go one way. Another oxen is going to go another way. They need to be yoked together to follow, in this case, Jesus Christ. When we sow to the Spirit, when we are fully reliant upon Him, when we stop blowing into our sail and let the Spirit do this, when we just step back and trust Him and say, you know what, God? No matter what comes my way, I trust you. You are so good. And sometimes, church, we just need to declare that. That's what worship songs help us to do. Declare the truth. My God is for me, and he is not against me. My God, if I trust him, he will open doors that no one can open but him, and no one can shut but him. If I trust him, that door will be opened in the exact right time, and not before and not after. Do you trust God for that? Do you trust God that when you feel the the pressures of this world, the enemy, if you will, pressing you to the brink of the cliff, do you trust him to speak to your heart and say, turn around now? And when you do, the hands of the enemy drop, and the crowd parts, and you walk through. That is faith. That is taking on Jesus' yoke and saying, you know what? I don't understand all of this stuff that's going on in my life, but I know you are good, God. I know that you regard my way. You consider my cause, as Isaiah said. And I believe that I right now will mount up on wings as eagles. And I will start seeing things from your perspective. I may not get it all, God, because I'm not God. But I'm going to trust you. Do you want to become weary proof? Take Jesus' yoke upon you. Step into his yoke. And he says this. If you do this, it will be easy. Isn't that amazing? Life? Easy? I'm not saying there aren't going to be times in which the waves roaring here and there and, and you feel like life is chaos. But when that happened, guess what? Jesus was asleep in the boat because there was peace. Everything's going to be fine, guys. They woke him up. Jesus, help us. We're going to. Tr- I, I got this. Guys, I got this. Can you hear that from the heart of the Father this morning, that he has this? Can you stand with me? Let's just allow God right now, as we respond to the word, to say, God, I'm going to trust you in this situation. I believe you have something so very good, and I may not completely see it, but I am going to trust you right now in this situation. Father, allow us, please, to take your yoke upon us.
to stop saying, not your will, but my will be done. And begin saying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And step into your yoke. Father, this is hard. This stretches us. And there are times in which we, honestly, God, we feel like giving up. We have become weary. And I am just asking you, Father, please, on behalf of these amazing people who love you, Jesus, pour hope into their hearts. Pour faith into their hearts. Call that forth, God. Begin to blow into their sails, God. Begin to empower them to get the right perspective and take upon themselves your yoke. Father, in every lie that the enemy has been whispering in our ears, that you're not for me, you don't love me as much as others. I will never amount to anything good enough to be blessed like others are being blessed. There's something wrong with me. God, just take our eyes off ourselves and fix our eyes on Jesus. The amazing God who took on human flesh because he loved me that much. And he sub subjected himself to such weaknesses to show me how to live. Help me take on his yoke. Show me, Father, what it means to keep in step with the Spirit and to totally rely upon you, God. Because honestly, I'm being filled with fear and worry. And I am wondering, God, have you seen my cause? Are you disregarding my way? Father, empower us right now to mount up on wings as you. Father, you're so good. I thank you that you don't play favorites. That you rejoice over us with singing. You love us infinitely, and there is nothing we can do about it. You love us. Would you remind us of that? And Father, I want to thank you for how you have blessed Mickey Lana. You didn't bless her 40 years ago as you could have. You blessed her just this past week. Amazingly so. In such a time of need. Thank you, Father, for blessing my daughter and my future son-in-law with this health. I believe that you did it because you want to show how good you are. And you wanted, you wanted to bless them 
that they would be able to bless others. Because that's just who you are. Father, I don't know how well I've communicated what's on your heart today. But I believe that that is the key. Your heart. So would you show us your heart and all of your good inclinations for us this morning? And if we heard nothing else, may it be this of how good you are and how gracious you are and how full of love you are for us and how much we can trust you because you are trustworthy. That you are a good, good father and you desire that we walk in your ways and take upon ourselves your yoke that this burden would be light and our way may be easy. And because we sow to the Spirit, we are now able to not grow weary. Wow, God, could you do that? And so encourage us every day with this truth. Please do this, God. Please minister to the weariness in our hearts. And I am asking you, Father, on behalf of these amazing people, speak to them. And may this now be the time in which you say, my son, my daughter, turn around and walk through the crowd. And God, may you part the crowd as you parted the sea. And would you destroy the enemies, Lord God, the, the devil, the demons, their whispering lies, that we would shut that out and we would have Jesus as our focus and our sole passion, our first love, and that we would be pursuing you, God. This is your heart for us, Lord. Make it ours. Make it ours. Jesus' name we pray. Amen.